Good morning, dear Sangha. Today is August the 16th in the year 2013, and we are in Brook University on our last day of the retreat. Happy teachers will change the world. We know that the third mindfulness training is about uh, the cultivation of uh, true love. Without true love, life has no meaning. There is no happiness. There is no joy. I hope everyone here is in love. Love is something organic. And if we don't know how to handle love, it will turn into hate or despair. So we have to learn how to feed our love so that our love will continue to grow. In the teaching of the Buddha, love has no boundaries. True love is a kind of love that continues to grow, always. Love is an unlimited uh, emotion. In the beginning, your love may include only you and the other person. But if you practice true love, very soon it will grow and include us, all of us. Love is a living thing. And the moment when love stops to grow, it begins to die. So we have to learn how to feed our love and help love to continue to grow. It is like a tree. If the tree stops growing, it begins to die. Our love is the same. Therefore, the four Brahma Viharas, the four elements of true love, are called unlimited emotions. The first element of true love is uh, mighty loving-kindness, that capacity to offer happiness. If you are a true lover, you should be able to offer happiness. Without the capacity to offer happiness, that's not true love. With true love, You offer yourself happiness, and you offer the other person happiness. The willingness, the desire to make another person happy is not enough. You may have plenty of good intention to make him or her 
happy. But if you are not capable of offering happiness, that's not true love. A father wish his son or daughter happy. But if he does not know how to love, the more he loves, the more he makes his son or daughter suffer. So it's not the intention to make the other person happy is love, not intention. The intention is not enough. The capacity to make him or her happy, that is my dream. And if we do not know how to make ourselves happy, it's hard to make another person happy. That is the teaching of the Buddha on my tree. Cultivating my tree. Cultivating loving kindness. And a true lover is capable of making happiness, offering happiness to himself, to herself, and to the other person or persons. And you cannot impose your idea of happiness on the other person. There is a kind of fruit that many people love a lot, durian. But for me, I cannot stand the smell of durian. It's a very expensive kind of fruit. I remember when I was a young monk, I was uh, reciting the Lotus Sutra, and, and I could concentrate it. I could not concentrate, because on the altar, there was an idiorin. So I had to use uh, the ball bell to imprison the fruit <laughs> before I could continue to to do the recitation of the sutra. And if you say, dear Thay, poor Thay, he works so hard, I should offer him some durian. <laughs> you try to make me happy, but in fact, if you force me to eat durian, I will suffer a lot. <laughs> so you cannot impose your idea of happiness on the other person. You have to understand him or her. And that kind of understanding is the foundation of love. You have to understand a person before you can make him or her happy. Understand the difficulties, the need, the suffering, and so on. The second element of true love is uh, karuna. Karuna means compassion. That is the capacity to help remove the pain, the sorrow, the fear from a person. The intention is not enough. You have to be able to help that person remove the pain, the suffering, the fear in him or her. And if you know how to do that for yourself, you will know how to help that person to do the same. You have to understand your suffering. And then you can understand the suffering of the other person and help her to suffer less and transform 
that is karuna the second element of true love if we do not have that element in our love it's not true love we should be able to understand the suffering of the other person and uh, we should have the capacity to help that person transform remove the suffering in him or in her and if we know how to do that for ourselves it will be much easier to help another person to transform and then the third uh, element of true love is um, joy mudita if by loving you cry every day and you make the other person cry every day that's not true love so the mark of true love is joy and you can recognize can recognize true love by this aspect joy you are able to offer joy to him to her to yourself and the last element of true love is uh, inclusiveness no discrimination when you are in love in true love your suffering is her suffering her happiness is your happiness there is no longer any individual happiness or suffering there is no frontier between the lover and the beloved you cannot say that's your problem no it's no personal problem and the element of uh, inclusiveness non-discrimination is uh, telling us that true love is the kind of love that always grow there is no limit to true love you might begin with one person two people but if your true love continues to grow and then you will include all of us into your true love that is the love of a buddha you not only love him or her but you you love uh, the whole humanity you love all species and you love the environment and your love continue to grow until it embraces everything that is uh, equanimity that is upeksha no discrimination um, inclusiveness so the teaching of true love offered by the buddha is very deep and very practical and the third mindfulness training is about cultivating true love and true happiness is made of that kind of love so the practitioner should be a lover a true lover
if you think that the kingdom of God is just an idea, is just a dream, reconsider. If you think that nirvana is something abstract, that nirvana is something that you will experience after you die, you are wrong. For those of us who practice looking deeply, the kingdom of God is there, available in the here and the now. And if uh, we are truly present in the here and the now, mindful, concentrated, and then we can touch the kingdom of God in everything, including our body. That flower is a wonder of life. And she belongs to the kingdom of God. You can touch the kingdom of God through that flower. It is in it. It's very clear. And your body also is a wonder. You should not underestimate your body. That is uh, another kind of flower in the garden of humanity. And you should treat your body with utmost respect because it belongs to the kingdom of God and you can touch the kingdom of God in your body. And with mindfulness, concentration, and insight, you can live uh, deeply every moment of your daily life, daily life. And you can enjoy the kingdom of God every moment of your daily life. You do not have to die in order to go to the kingdom. That may be too late. The kingdom is available now. And we should make ourselves available to the kingdom. And how? Be mindful, be concentrated, be insightful. And the kingdom is there at every step, in every moment. You need a friend to tell you that, to remind you of that. And nirvana, nirvana is the true nature of reality. It is the nature of uh, no birth, no death, no coming, no going, no sameness, no otherness. On the surface, we can see birth and death, beginning and ending. Being there or not being there, but going deeply we find out that kind of truth that transcends all these notions. In the realm of science, we also find that there is a classical science represented by Newton and the new science represented by quantum mechanics. So in Buddhism, we speak of uh, two kinds of uh, truth, the conventional truth and the ultimate truth. 
as far as the conventional truth is concerned, there is birth and death. There is beginning and ending. There is you and me as two separate people. But if we got deeper with the energy of mindfulness and concentration and insight, we find out that these are just notions. And these notions as birth and death, above and below, cannot be applied to the ultimate. God cannot be described in terms of being and non-being. Suppose we are, uh, we are sitting here in the lotus position and we think that this direction is the direction of the above and this one is direction of the below. But uh, the people on the other side of the planet, <laughs> they don't agree. <laughs> what we consider to be our above, they think that that is their below. So the idea of below and above cannot be applied to the cosmos. The same thing is true with birth and death and so on. We have learned in this retreat that there are 16 exercises of, um, of uh, mindful breathing. And the last four uh, exercises are the practice of uh, concentration to help us break through to reality and touch our true nature of no birth and no death. When one person that is close to us uh, pass away, we suffer. You don't know where she is gone. Darling, where have you come from? Where are you, would you gone now? And you cry. So we have, uh, we have two kind of concern daily concern and the ultimate concern. We want to know where we come from, where we go to after we die. And this uh, kind of uh, practice of meditation help us to see clear. In the teaching of the Buddha, there are many uh, exercises there's many practices of concentration, samadhi, mindfulness, concentration, insight, smriti, samadhi, prasna. But there are there, there are three kind of concentrations that are available in every school of Buddhism. Northern or Southern Buddhism, every every school that is uh, the practice of uh, the three doors of uh, liberation. And uh, the three concentrations taught in that is uh, emptiness, signlessness, and aimlessness.
And today we are going to learn uh, how to put into the practice these kind of concentrations because they have a capacity to remove fear and despair and help us to touch the ultimate and uh, leaving behind our notions like birth and death and so on. The three uh, concentrations called uh, doors of liberation begin with uh, emptiness. Emptiness does not mean non-existence. It's quite a different thing. This morning, before the transmission of the five uh, trainings, we recited, we chanted the Heart Sutra. The Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara, in deep meditation, found out that the five skandhas are empty. He was looking deeply into his own person that is made of form, body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness, and found them equally empty. But to be empty doesn't mean to be non-existent. And that is why he said, uh, form is emptiness, but emptiness is form. Emptiness is not nothing. Suppose we look uh, at this uh, glass. It looks empty. But in order for the glass to be empty, it should be there. In order to be either full or empty, the glass should be there. So emptiness does not mean non-existent. This glass is empty of what? It's empty of tea. (laughs) But it's full of air. Emptiness, empty is empty of something. And that question may be very helpful. So when we look uh, into this flower, (laughs) which is described as empty, what do, do we see in the flower? We see the sunshine inside. 
we see a cloud inside. And you do not need to be a poet in order to see a cloud floating in a flower. You know that without the cloud, there is no rain and no flower can grow. So it's very clear that this flower is not empty. It has many things inside. It's full of uh, sunshine. It's full of cloud. And then you can see what, you can see the soil, the earth, the minerals, the gardener. And if you continue, you see the whole cosmos have come together and help the flower to manifest as a wonder. So in fact, the flower is full of the cosmos. Why Bodhisattva Avalokita said that it is empty? So we should ask him, Dear Bodhisattva Avalokita, you say that this flower is empty. I want to know, empty of what? It is full of everything. So empty means empty of what? Our full is full of what? Like consciousness is consciousness of of something. So the Bodhisattva will tell you that, well, you are right. The flower is full of the cosmos. There is only thing that it that is empty is a, a separate existence. A flower cannot be by herself. A flower does not have a separate existence. A self-nature. Self-nature. Svabhava. Self-existence, self-nature, svabhava. Everything contains the whole cosmos, but empty only of a separate existence, of a self-nature. Because if we remove the non-flowers elements from the flower, there is no flower left. And flower, according to, uh, to Buddhist teachers, is a conventional designation. It's only a name, conventional designation. Suppose we talk about the euro or the dollar. The dollar doesn't have a self-nature. It is only a conventional designation. It doesn't have a self-nature at all.
And if everything has a self-nature, everything has a self-existence and does not need others to, to be there, and then that everything will remain the same forever. Suppose it's talk about a child, a child. A child has no self-nature, no uh, independent existence. Without the father, the mother, the son, shine, the water, the food, a child cannot be. A child is a conventional designation. And that is why a child cannot remain a child forever. He had to grow into a young man or an adult. If a child has self-nature, and a child will remain a child forever. So that nothing has a self-nature, nothing has a self-existence, nothing can be by itself. No nature, no self-nature. That is what you touch when you look deeply at everything. The human being does not have a self-nature. Man is made only of non-man elements. Looking into a human being, we see ancestors. We have uh, human ancestors, of course, but we have also animal ancestors. And we have also uh, vegetal ancestors. And we also have uh, mineral ancestors. Man is made of non-man elements. And if we remove all these non-man elements, animals, plants, minerals, there's no man left. Man cannot be by himself alone. Man has to interbe with animals, plants, and minerals. And that is why to protect man, you have to protect animals, vegetables, and minerals. And that is the teaching of the Diamond Sutra. That's the most ancient text on deep ecology. Man is made of only of non-man element. Man cannot be by himself, herself alone. Man has to interbe with animals, plants, and minerals. In order to preserve man, you have tried to preserve animals, plants, and minerals. 
That is the teaching of deep ecology in the diamond sutra. When you look into the sun, you see the father, you see the mother, you see the ancestors. And a son cannot exist by himself alone, cannot be by himself alone. A son or a daughter can only interbe with uh, parents, ancestors, and so on. And that is not difficult to see. As a biologist, you can look into the body of a person and you see that the person is uh, the continuation of his parents. All the cells, all the genes have been transmitted by many generations of ancestors. And then if uh, a son gets angry at his father, there's something wrong in it. There are young men who are so mad at their father, so angry at their father, that they dare to declare like this, that person, I don't want to have anything to do with him. That's nonsense. Because your father is in every cell of your body, you cannot remove your father (laughs) out of you. The fact is that you are the continuation of your father, and you are your father. You cannot take him out of you. You have no private, uh, separate existence. That uh, that self, that the self, atma, does not exist. A separate existence, something permanent, non-changing entity, and sometimes we call it soul, is not there. There is nothing unchanging. When you look in deeply into the five skandhas, forms, form, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness, you see everything is flowing, everything is changing. You don't see anything that can remain the same in two consecutive moments. And therefore, a self, a soul, that remains always the same, does not seem to be be something real at all. There is no uh, unchanging self. You are empty of a self. You are empty of a separate existence. And neuroscience can help also. When you look into the brain, we see a lot of neurons. And they are working together. They are firing, they are exchanging uh, information every moment. And there is no, no neuron that plays 
the role of the conductor, the role of the president, the role of the commander. And that is a community of cells that, that operate like a, a symphony orchestra, but there is no conductor. That's what neuroscience has found out. There is no conductor. There is a symphony. In our body, there are billions of cells. There are working together. There is no cell that play the role of the president, of the boss, of the one who is giving orders. Therefore, a decision is made. But there is no decision maker. A decision is made, but there is no decision maker outside of the decision. There is a feeling taking place, but there is no feeler. There is a perception that happens, but there is no perceiver existing outside of the perception. It's very uh, interesting. I think uh, practitioners of meditation and uh, scientists can sit together and work together and discover together. I think science, modern science, has found out the truth of no self. Suppose you talk about um, the wind. And you say, the wind blows. It looks like uh, there is the wind that does the, the job of blowing. But uh, it's very funny to say the wind blows. If it's not blowing, it's not the wind. <laughs> and we say the rain falls. Imagine a rain that does not fall. <laughs> if, the, if it does not fall, it's not the rain. So you, you can say there is rain, but you cannot find a rainer. You cannot find a rainer. The same thing is true with our feelings, perceptions, decision. There is a decision that is made, but there is no decision maker existing outside of this decision. There is a feeling of sadness and of joy, but there is no filter standing outside in the background. Because there is no self, there is no svabhava, there is no self-nature. Everything is a conventional designation. Everything depends on everything else in order to express itself. And that is the teaching of uh, interdependence, uh, inter, um, 
connection. You cannot be by yourself. It's impossible to be. It is possible to interbe, but it's not possible to be. And that is why the teaching of the Buddha on, on Genesis, how the, come, how the world come to be, is very easy. It's very simple. This is because that is. This, this is not because that is not. Everything is connected to everything else. And that is uh, the meaning of, uh, of uh, emptiness. Everything is full of everything else, but everything doesn't have a separate existence. That is emptiness. And emptiness is not something negative. Nagarjuna, that Buddhist teacher of the second century, has said something very interesting. Thanks to emptiness, everything is possible. Thanks to emptiness, a flower is possible. Because the flower has no separate existence, and that is why all the elements of the cosmos can come together and produce the flower. A flower is full of the cosmos and empty of a separate self. So when, when the sun get angry at his father. He might try to look into himself and he see that he is empty of himself. He is made of non-self elements and he can see his father, his mother, his ancestors in him. Removing father, mother, ancestors, there is no son. And to be angry at your father is to angry at yourself. To make your, your father suffer is to make you suffer. To make your daughter suffer is to make yourself suffer. Because she is your continuation. She is you. About 20 years ago, uh, I was uh, doing walking meditation on the street of London. I saw displayed on uh, uh, a book in a bookshop with um, uh, a book with the title My Mother, Myself. I did not buy the book because I knew what was inside. <laughs> <laughs> it's true that uh, you are the continuation of your mother, you are your mother. You are the continuation of your ancestors, and you are your ancestors. You are not something static. You are a stream of existence. So when you walk, all your ancestors are walking with you. That is the truth. So let us, uh, when we walk, let us invite all our ancestors to walk with us at the same time.
And if you can make a, 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 a step full of uh, freedom, full of uh, stability, full of joy, and then all your ancestors profit from, from the step also. You are so kind to allow your ancestors to experience peace and joy and freedom with every step. You breathe for your ancestors. Your ancestors are blood ancestors and uh, spiritual ancestors. You breathe for Jesus. You are a continuation of Jesus. You are his son, daughter, friend, continuation. You are the continuation of Lord Buddha. And you breathe for him. The Buddha has never died. Jesus has never died. They continue always with you. So work for him, for them. Breathe for them and make them alive for the profit of many people, or of us on earth. So if a person touch the nature of emptiness in himself and his father and uh, everything else, is free from that kind of discrimination. And uh, with all discriminations removed, there is no longer anger, fear, discrimination. Happiness is possible right away. That is why emptiness is a door of liberation. The second door of liberation is uh, signlessness. Sign here means the appearance. And many of us are fooled by the appearance of things. When the cloud, when your favorite cloud is no longer there on the sky, you are sad. By the way, you have to remember that 70% of, of our body is made of cloud. The clouds are inside and not just on the sky. And every, every day you continue to drink clouds. When a cloud is no longer seen in the sky, you think that the cloud is not there. 
and you think that your cloud now belongs to the realm of non-being. <laughs> Yesterday it belonged to the realm of being, but today it belongs to the realm of non-being. That's wrong perception. You think your cloud has died. But the other day we have said that uh, it's impossible for a cloud to die. Because to die means uh, from something you become absolutely nothing. A cloud cannot become nothing. A cloud can become the rain, the snow, the ice. So if you are caught by the appearance of cloud, you are not capable of seeing your cloud in its continuation. You have to see your cloud in the, in the rain. Hello, my cloud. I see you in your new form, the rain. And that you are free from sign. And when you drink your tea, and you see your cloud inside. Hello, my cloud. Now I see you in the form of tea. So you are free from the appearance of this signlessness. So the person you used to be with, she is no longer there. And you grieve for her loss. You are despair because uh, the person you love is no longer there. And you believe that she has come, she has uh, passed into the realm of non-being. She is no longer there. She has died. But that's not true. It's impossible for a cloud to die. It's impossible for you to die. And you'll be loved to die. If you have the eyes of signlessness, you can see your, be, your beloved one in her new form. You can see the cloud in the rain. And the rain is calling you, darling, darling, I'm here. Don't you see me? You don't see her in the rain. You don't see the cloud in the rain because you are caught by appearance. You do not have the eyes of signlessness. So when you see a block of eyes, you can see your cloud. When you see the snow falling, uh, you see your cloud. Nothing can die. And that is why with the eyes of signlessness, with the concentration of signlessness, you are free from the notion of being and non-being, birth and death. And you don't suffer anymore. Even from your own death, because you cannot die. We have to learn how to let go of our notions, including the notion of being and non-being, birth and death. We believe that uh, now is life. Death will be for later on in 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. 
But the fact is not that. Death is happening right now and right here. In this very present moment, many cells in our body are dying. Thousands and thousands of them are dying. Death is happening right here and right now, and you don't know, you think that death will be much later on. And death is very crucial for, for birth. Cells have to die in order for other cells to be born. Thousands and thousands of cells are being born in this very moment, and birth and death, they like to be together, like the right and the left. If you think that today is only birth and death will be 100 years later, you are wrong. Birth and death, they happen at the same time. Many thousands of cells are dying in this very moment. And you are so busy, you have no time to organize their funerals. (laughs) And many of uh, the new, new cells are born, you have no time to celebrate uh, birthday, their birthday. <laughs> so where there is birth, there is death. And death is not destructive. Death allows birth to be possible. It's like the left and the right. Without the left, the right cannot be. And you have to learn to look at reality in that way. The birth of something is always the, the death of something, is always the birth of something. The death of a cloud is the birth of the rain. If the cloud does not die, how can the rain be born? But that is when we talk about birth and death. In reality, there's no birth and no death. So two layers of truth on the conventional level, we, have, we see uh, conventional truth, we see on the level of uh, the conventional truth, we see there is birth and death. The cloud dies in order for, for the rain to be born, and the rain to have to die in order for the tea to be born. But that's not dying, that's transformation. You always continue. And that is why we have to train ourselves to look with the eyes of signlessness. And you'll be free from all kinds of uh, anguish, fear, despair. And scientists have found out that matter and energy, their nature is also the nature of no birth and no death. If you are still looking for the beginning of the cosmos, if if you still believe in the Big Bang as the beginning of the cosmos, you are still caught in the notion of birth and death. If you believe in the Big Bang, and then you have to believe in the Big Crunch later on. And if scientists, they still uh, uh, 
put the question of the birth and the death of cosmos, they violate the first law of thermodynamics. There is no birth, there is no death. There is only a continuation. So with that kind of looking deeply, we touch the nature of no birth and no death, and we throw away these notions of birth and death coming and going, and we are free. There is no longer any fear, any anger, any despair. That is the second door of liberation. It's not philosophy. It's a practice. Mindfulness, concentration, bring insight. And when you get the insight of emptiness and sunlessness, you are free. The, sixth, the, the last exercise of mindful breathing proposed by the Buddha is letting go. Letting go of notions including the notion of birth and death, being and non-being, coming and going. When you come to a practice center, you learn many kinds of practice that can bring you relief from fear, anger, distress. But the greatest relief you can get is only when you touch your nature of no birth and no death. No being and no non-being. And if uh, we do not have the time to meditate, to contemplate, to touch, uh, to practice uh, the concentration of emptiness, and sinlessness, we cannot touch our true nature of no birth and no death. Let us imagine a wave appearing on the surface of the ocean. And the wave may be caught in ideas of beginning, ending, birth and death, coming up, coming down, being there, not being there. And she will suffer a lot because of these notions. But if uh, the wave uh, come home to herself and touch her true nature, which is uh, water, and then she loses all kinds of notions. It's nice to begin, it's nice to end. It's nice to come up, it's nice to go down. She can live the life of a wave, but she can also live the life of water. And the moment when she touches her true nature, water, she loses all kinds of fear. The fear of beginning, the fear of ending, the fear of being going up, the fear of going down, the fear of being or not being. And the water does not have to go and search, uh, the, the, the wave does not go have to go to search for water. She is water right here and right now. And that is, that, is, uh, that is true with us. We don't have to go and search for nirvana. 
We don't have to go and search for our nature of no birth and no death. We are well established in it. Our true nature is nature of no birth and no death. And that kind of awakening, realization, will help us lose, release all kind of fear and discrimination. And true joy of living will be possible. Let us visualize a cloud in the sky and one half of her has become the rain and uh, the rain can be seen now as a a stream of water, a source and the cloud above looking down and see himself, part of himself, part of herself down on earth. And he waved to the, the creek and said, hello, myself down there. <laughs> I will join you very soon. I will join you very soon. Have a good time down there. You do not have to, to wait until the dissolution of this body in order to be reborn into something else. The cloud can be, can be reborn into, half the cloud can be reborn into rain and snow, and half still retain the form of a cloud. And that is why we have to look with the eyes of signlessness and see our continuation. You already have your continuation. Look around. And that is my practice. When you look into this direction and you say, this is Thai, that's not, that's not the whole truth. This is only a very tiny part of Thai. You can see Thai in a different way. If you go to Vietnam, Thai's homeland, you see, you see Thai is there at this very moment, operating trying to help people to practice. He has continued, he has already his continuation there. And there are many prisons in Europe, America, where our friends have been coming to help people to breathe, to work and suffer less. Thay is there in these prisons. You have to see Thay like that. If you think that his body is Thay, that's wrong perception. So Thay does not have to wait until this body disintegrates uh, completely in order to be reborn. No, he has been reborn in many forms. And there's some of Thay in yourself now. 
So that is the wisdom, the eyes of signlessness. You are not caught in the forms. If we talk about um, H2O, you know that H2O is not confined in the form of a cloud or ice or snow. When you visit uh, Plum Village in uh, the month of uh, July, you can see lotus flowers coming up. And a lotus flower can stay for, in bloom for two or three days. And then the petals will fall down. And uh, the lotus flowers will make uh, seeds. But during that time, she She's spent with us. She's pre- preparing her continuation in the mud. The little buttons of flower of lotus are in the mud. And every day she nourish. So if you think that uh, the lotus has died, you are wrong. The lotus is being born. There is a continuation of this lotus already in the mud. And a few days later, you see a button of lotus coming up. That's her continuation. So you have to learn to look with the eyes of silenceness. And you are free from all kinds of discrimination and anger and fear and despair. That's the second door of liberation. The third door of liberation is uh, Aimlessness. Apranihita. The word apranihita means uh, you, you place something in front of you and run after. You are searching for something. You are longing for something. That something may be God, may be nirvana, may be happiness. But according to the concentration, the practice of apranita, you are already what you are looking for, you are searching for. God is there in yourself. Nirvana is there in yourself. Happiness is there. You are already what you want to become. Enlightenment, realization, nirvana, God, the kingdom of God, are all available in the present moment. And you should stop running. No aim. This is to stop right right away and realize that uh, you are a wonder. You contain the whole cosmos. You don't need anything else to be happy, to be free. 
everything you are looking for, it is already there in the here and the now. There is no way to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the way. If you walk in such a way, with mindfulness, concentration, you experience you experience the kingdom of God with every step. You don't have to go and look for nirvana. Like the wave doesn't have to go and look for water. Nirvana is available in the here and the now. With mindfulness, concentration, in inside, you can touch nirvana in every moment of your daily life. The nature of your, of no birth and no death. And only when we can stop, really can stop running, that true happiness and true freedom can be obtained. You stop looking for God. You stop looking for the kingdom of God. You stop looking for nirvana as something that exists in the future elsewhere. All what you are looking for is already there. That is the practice of apranihita. It gives you two peace right away. And this uh, practice of concentration, the three doors of liberation are available in every school of Buddhism. Natapinika is the name of a businessman who lived in the time of the Buddha. In fact, that is not his uh, real name. His real name is uh, Sudatta. But because he was a very generous person, he supported the poor, destitute people in the city, in the country, that is why they gave them, they gave him that kind of name, Anatta Pinika, the one who cared for the poor, the aged people, the destitute people. The first time he saw the Buddha was in the city of Rajagraha. And he was so impressed that he invited the Buddha to come to his country and teach. And the Buddha said yes, so he went home and bought a park from a prince and make it into a practice center and invite the Buddha and his Sangha to come and offer the teaching in the kingdom of Shravasti. And he had spent 30 years and more serving the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. He's very generous to people and to friends. That is why when uh, one time business was not going well, uh, bankruptcy, uh, his friend came and helped him to rebuild his uh, business. One day the Buddha came and visited him 
and found that he is uh, very sick. So the Buddha came home to, uh, to Anattapindika Park that uh, practice center given by, by that uh, lay person and asked uh, Shariputra, one of his uh, senior disciples, to take care of Anattapindika to make sure that he will die peacefully. He's a real supporter of uh, the Sangha. So one day, uh, Anattapindika learned that, uh, uh, Putra learned that Anattapindika was uh, dying. So he's, he asked his uh, younger brother in the Dharma, the Venerable Ananda, to come with him. And when they came, Anatta tried to sit up on his bed, but he could not. He was so weak. Shariputra said that, uh, dear friend, don't try. Uh, we will just lie down like that. We will bring a few chairs and sit close to you. And then when they are seated, Shariputra asked, my dear friend, how do you feel in your body? Is the pain in your body increasing or decreasing? A dying person may feel a lot of pain and fear. And Anatta Pinika said that, dear venerables, it does not seem that um, the pain in my body is decreasing. It is increasing all the time. Then the Venerable Shariputra said, in that case, let us practice together the guided meditation on the three jewels. Recollection of the Buddha, recollection of the Dharma, recollection of the Sangha. Shariputra is one of the most intelligent monks, disciple of the Buddha. He knew that Anatta Pedika took a great deal of pleasure to serve the Buddha and the Sangha. And if he offered uh, exercise uh, on the three jewels that will water the seed of happiness in the lay practitioner. So three of them were practicing the recollection of the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. And after a few minutes, they, they saw Anatta Pinika smile. It's very effective. If you happen to sit close to a person who is dying, you can, you can do that. You can identify the seat of happiness, the seat of joy in that person, and water, and water them. And you can restore the balance between the pain and the joy. And after that, uh, Shariputra continued with the practice of uh, concentration. Breathing in, I know I'm aware of the element earth in me. Breathing out, I'm aware of the element water in me. Breathing in, I am aware of the uh, element fire in me. 
Because now that I'm aware of the, of the element water in me, I am made of these four elements. These four elements are inside of me and outside of me. Breathing in, I know this body is not me. This body is made of the four elements. This body is made of non-body elements. I'm more, much more than this element. I am my action. I have done many good things, and I continue with the good things I have done. Breathing in, I know this body has come from nowhere, and will go nowhere. With uh, enough conditions, this body manifests. With, uh, when the conditions are no longer sufficient, this body stops manifesting. It does not go anywhere. So he was, uh, Shariputra was conducting the, the, the practice on no coming, no going, no being, no non-being. And with the practice, people realize that uh, everything is empty. It's impossible to die, and we can always continue with our action of karma. At that point, uh, Ananda Pintika began to cry. Shariputra asked, My dear friend, why do you cry? You didn't succeed in the meditation? No, Venerable Ananda, I did it very well. Do you regret anything? No, Venerable Ananda, I don't regret anything. Why are you crying then? Anatta Pinika said, Dear Venerable Ananda, I cry because I am so moved. I have served the Sangha and the Buddha more than 30 years, but I have never received such a wonderful teaching and practice that today the Venerable Shariputra gave me. I'm free now. Adana said, Dear friend, you don't know, but that kind of teaching we monastics we receive almost every day. <laughs> Ananda Pinika said with a faint smile, Dear Venerable Ananda, Please go back and tell the Lord that many of us in the world, lay people, we are so busy. We have no time to learn and practice this kind of uh, teaching. But there are still many of us who have the time and who wish to receive this teaching and practice. So please tell the world to dispense the teaching also to lay people. And Ananda said, yes, I will do that. I will come back and tell the Lord about your request. And that, is, that was the last request made by Ananda Pinika. He died very peacefully with a smile. And the story of Ananda Pinika is recorded in the sutra the teaching given to the dying person. And you might like to, to read again in the Plum Village Shanting book. If you are a doctor and nurse, if you are to accompany a dying person, you might do 
mình you may like to do like uh, Sariputra with the inside of no birth and no death with the spirit of no fear you can help a person die peacefully without fear dear friends uh, it has been wonderful to be uh, practicing with you in the last uh, six days and this is the last Dhamma talk and we hope that uh, everyone can continue this uh, wholesome pleasant practice when you go home please uh, look around and find out non-sangha elements in order to form a sangha <laughs> with uh, a sangha uh, we can we can maintain our practice for a long time without a sangha we may abandon our practice in just a few months. So Sangha building is what I recommend. And uh, if any of you want to devote your time, your life, to become a Dharma teacher and, and join us in, uh, in this kind of work offering uh, practice of global ethics, uh, please think about it. We have uh, practice centers uh, in uh, North America, in Europe, in Asia. And if you have that kind of volition, wholesome desire to practice, to set up Sangha, to help people suffer less, uh, please uh, uh, meditate more about that. And uh, it will be a joy working together in order to make this world a better place for our children and their children. The monastics are invited to come and we shall sing together a song with the title, No Coming, No Going. My Thầy Các Sư Cô Linh. Please massage, massage your feet. And we stand up uh, to sing together. 